Good morning. The second lesson this morning comes from the letter to the Ephesians. I will read chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Listen now for the word of the Lord. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may perceive what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly place, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? God, we look and listen for a word from you to give us a point of view that is more than our own. Help us to be awed by it and to be made well by it. Amen. Today is Ascension Sunday, the Sunday when Jesus departs. If you recall, according to the book of Acts, after his resurrection, the risen Jesus spent 40 days on earth, appearing to his disciples, convincing them with proofs that he was alive, and teaching them yet more about the kingdom of God. Now, at the end of those 40 days, Jesus leaves. It is astounding, really that Jesus would leave his beloved disciples in a world where bad things could happen to them. That Jesus would leave God's mission in their hands. That Jesus would leave behind the world he loved. All of this is quite astounding. With so much at stake, it is astounding in its vulnerability. It is a vulnerable moment, to be sure. Jesus is vulnerable. His disciples are vulnerable. The world is vulnerable. And God is vulnerable. We don't often think of God as being vulnerable. So much of the time we speak about God's sovereignty. It's hard to make sense of how God can be both sovereign and vulnerable. And yet that is how God is portrayed in the Bible. The same God who commanded the world into being 
was also utterly intimately involved in the affairs of the first humans. God personally breathed life into the first human, personally walked in the garden where he personally conversed with humans. The same God who is ruler of the universe is also the one we call Father in heaven. Any first-time parent is startled by the vulnerability that comes with caring for, providing for, and protecting a child. From the moment our daughter was born, I recognized how completely dependent she was on my provision and protection. From that moment on, my prayers for the world to become a place where the most vulnerable can flourish became more ardent. The terror that took place at Robb Elementary School strikes our spirit where we acknowledge ourselves to be most vulnerable. God is like that parent who vulnerably entrusts his children to a world of our making. In a book entitled, The Disappearance of God, A Divine Mystery, Biblical scholar Richard Elliott Friedman probes the Bible to investigate the mystery that God, who is present through direct, even personal interaction with human beings at the beginning of the Bible, gradually becomes hidden by the end of the Bible. Through the course of the Hebrew Bible, God appears less and less, speaks less and less to humans. Whereas in the primeval biblical stories of the Garden of Eden and the Flood, God is depicted as being observable and audible to the Earth's inhabitants at both a cosmic and a personal level, as even entering into a covenant with all creatures, much like the legal covenants that governed human affairs in the ancient world. Over time, God's appearances took the form of other things, such as fire, a pillar of cloud, and angels. By the time of Moses, Moses was the only person, the final person, to see God, but only from behind. And not long before he died, God told Moses, I shall hide my face from them. I shall see what their end will be. After Moses' death, while the apparent presence of God in the Bible starts to diminish, something else happens. Control of human affairs appears to be ceded to humankind, kings and judges. God's word gets mediated through prophets. Whereas in Genesis and Exodus, you see God. By Ezra and Esther, you do not. Over 30 times in the Hebrew Bible and by every major prophet, it is said that God hides his face. By the time the people have split into two countries, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and both the Assyrian destruction of Israel and the Babylonian destruction of Judah are reported, the prophet Isaiah bemoans, where is he? Longing for splitting seas, 
melting mountains and burning fires, Isaiah recognizes instead that he lives in a time of divine hiddenness. The diminishing presence of God is something with which the prophets had to come to terms. Richard Elliott Friedman's point is that we, too, have to come to terms with the fact that in the Bible, God creates humans, interacts with them, and then leaves. What are we to make of this? What are we to make of the fact that Jesus, too, leaves? Jesus, who had lived among the people, was put to death, was resurrected, and then continued to appear on the earth for 40 days, ascends into heaven, out of sight. What is the meaning of this? You may have different thoughts about this. Certainly, even in the Bible, we see faithful people over the course of centuries raising different questions about this. Does God remove his presence from humankind to punish human beings since they have been so rebellious? Or does God remove his presence to test humans, to know everything in their hearts? Or does God remove his presence because God is overly grieved in his heart? For better or worse, there are currents in the Bible of each of these attempts to make sense of the mystery of God's diminishing presence. All of these attempts reveal a tenacity in the relationship between God and humankind. Despite the fact that God remains a mystery to us, the relationship continues. Through the Torah, the prophetic books, the wisdom literature, the teachings and example of Jesus Christ, the sending of the Holy Spirit. God never stopped revealing, and humans never stopped seeking to know what faithfulness to God looks like here on earth. In the biblical account we heard this morning, Jesus offers parting words. It seems important to Jesus that he would leave his disciples equipped with a way to make sense of the mystery of his presence and impending absence. He says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then Jesus commissioned them to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. Then he instructed them to wait here until they receive power from God for this mission. We know from Luke's account, both here and in the book of Acts, that Jesus does not leave the disciples despondent. Unlike the terror and grief that had gripped them at his death, here, at the ascension, they are rejoicing and worshiping God. Somehow they feel closer to, not forsaken by God. Somehow they are in touch with the sovereignty of God, even when they, the world, and God are most vulnerable.
I'd like to reflect on this with you. Because as fleeting as it may be, I think there is wisdom to be discovered here that we will want to hold on to as tenaciously as we can. God, as sovereign as God is, makes God's self vulnerable. God is willing to entrust the world he created and loves to our care and stewardship. Jesus, Son of God, also makes himself vulnerable. It's perhaps summed up in the way Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. It's often puzzled me that in the Gospels, Jesus seems to have preferred for himself the title Son of Man more than the Son of God. Recently, I came across theologian Brian McLaren's illuminating interpretation of what this self-understanding of Jesus could mean for us. He writes, Christians very much like to call Jesus the Son of God. Jesus much preferred to call himself the Son of Man or Son of Humanity. There are many layers of meaning to the term, but the simplest and most obvious is this. A son of humanity is a human being. If you want to put a finer point on it, son of means a new generation of. Jesus is saying that he represents a new generation of humanity, a new kind of human being. In this light, his constant invitation to follow me means imitate me and join me on my journey toward a new way of being human. What is this new way of being human to which Jesus invites us to imitate? The Apostle Paul sums it up when he writes to the Philippians, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The new way of being human is the way of humility. It is the way of vulnerability. Imagine that. Could there be any greater contrast to the way those with the loudest voices and the biggest egos would want us to follow them? They behave as though they are invulnerable and make it seem as though the only solution is to make ourselves invulnerable too. This is not the way of Jesus Christ. It is not the way of of God. Time and time again, God shows us that true sovereignty does not preclude vulnerability and humility. In fact, it requires it. With so much at stake, with so much to spend our lives for, to live and die for, Jesus shows us time and time again that the new way of being human is one of love, sacrifice, vulnerability, and humility. 
Jesus ascends out of sight, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not to abandon or forsake us in our time of need, but to call us and to seek and follow this higher way. There is a well-worn path here on earth that we can follow into his kingdom. It is not one that puffs oneself up, but one that builds all of us up. It is the way of the Son of Man who shows us a new way of being human. Amen.